This is most certainly true. The Lamb of God who was long foretold has come to be our sacrifice. Jesus offered himself and graciously shed his blood in our place so that we could be forgiven. And now we have the assurance of life and glory with him forever in heaven. Join us to look to the Lamb through this sermon recently delivered at Grace. Jesus heals a man born blind. These words are the basis for the sermon this morning from the Gospel of John chapter 9, selected verses. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. <gasps> Divine breath filled the nostrils and air pumped through the lungs, blood coursed through the heart, neurons fired in the brain, and suddenly eyes opened with new life. 
What do you think was the first thing Adam saw? The brilliant, bright sky? The blazing sun, like I'm seeing through the back doors of our church right now. Endless land and beauty as far as those newly functioning eyes could see? Or did he even first see the face of God himself who used to walk in the garden in the cool of the day, as the Bible says? Oh, so much to see, so much to take in, so much to enjoy. And Satan hated every minute of it. Shortly after God's perfect creation was complete, Satan rebelled against the Lord and he was hell-bent on bringing everything and everyone down with him. So Satan tangled a web of lies that he brought to Adam and Eve and he said this, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The big lie from Satan was that they were missing out on something, that they were blind to something better, that God was keeping them from truly seeing and truly living. I think you know the opposite was true. With that bite of fruit... Adam and Eve immediately went blind, spiritually. And a thick darkness enshrouded everything in this world. Immediately, their relationship with each other was tarnished. They couldn't see each other clearly. They had to cover themselves up in shame and embarrassment and hide. They could no longer see God clearly as holy people looking at their holy God, but rather were covered in sin and had to hide from God in fear. Ever since that moment, sin has been an epidemic and pandemic of spiritual blindness as darkness has filled this whole world. Every last person since Adam and Eve, has been born with a spiritual blindness wherein they cannot see God clearly. Thousands of years have passed since Adam and Eve, but Satan's strategy has not changed all that much. He wants you to be spiritually blind. He wants you to be lost in the darkness forever. And so he wants you to believe the lie that if you open your eyes, you will truly be living and see something better. How many examples could you cite? Endless ones. God doesn't want you to have any fun. God doesn't want you to enjoy life or experiences or people. Open your eyes to the joy of exploiting the gift of sex. What does it matter if you cut a little corner here or there, change the numbers a little bit, adjust things on your taxes? You got to do what you got to do. It's for your family, after all. Open your eyes to see how much you need money. Oh, you did this. Well, don't worry about it. Nobody's perfect. You're a pretty good person, after all. 
Open your eyes to see what a waste of time this church stuff is anyways. Who really needs church in their life? All the examples could go on and on forever and ever. But it's all really the same lie, isn't it? Satan wants you to think that you are currently blind. And if you just open your eyes to see things his way, you'll truly be living life to the fullest. The sad, tragic Spiritual irony is that just like with Adam and Eve, the opposite happens. This only leads us to be more spiritually blind and to be more lost in the darkness. Have you noticed in your life that there are, perhaps you could say, varying kinds of spiritual blindness, almost as, almost as if there's a spectrum of darkness in this world? There are some people who are so accustomed, so used to the darkness, they hardly even know they're missing the light. Maybe you have a neighbor or a co-worker who's an unbeliever, but they've never really heard anything about Jesus and hardly even know what they're missing. But maybe you have met some other people who do know they're missing something. They know that there's some kind of light absent from their life. Maybe they're overwhelmed or overburdened by guilt in their lives. And so they try to overcompensate by doing all kinds of good things or finding some way to appease that guilt in their conscience. There are literally dozens and dozens and dozens of religions in this world that offer all kinds of prayers and penance and payments so you can do something to feel some kind of light in your life in the darkness. You've probably also observed that there is another group of people so stubbornly, spiritually blind and hard-hearted that you could flash a floodlight in front of their face and they still wouldn't open their eyes to see it. They are people who are almost, almost enjoy the darkness and light, the, the lack of light and sin. What did Paul say in the second reading from Ephesians 5 today? It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. These are people who refuse to see God and revel in the darkness of sin. But then there's another group or category of people I think many more of us in this room might relate to. And these would be people who know the light and have seen the light and yet still wrestle and struggle with darkness on a daily basis. Maybe it's some days that we turn a blind eye to God's words and God's will. Or maybe it's on our worst days when we like to play in the damp, dark, dingy basement of sinful indulgence. Maybe some days we bask in the light with our eyes wide open Sunday morning in church only to walk out the door and close our eyes, believing that lie that the darkness is better. There are some who know the light and see the light, but perhaps at the moment feel a little bit overwhelmed, overwhelmed by temptations and sin and Satan and all the evil out there and, and perhaps feel like they're becoming more and more lost again. It doesn't matter what kind or variety of spiritual darkness you're talking about. It's all dangerous. Spiritual blindness is not like 
groping about in the dark in the middle of the night trying to stumble around to find your way to the bathroom. Oh, watch out, you might stub your toe. Oh no, spiritual blindness is deadly. It's like a physically blind person walking without a white cane or a guide person near the edge of the Grand Canyon. It might be okay for a little while. You might stumble around and have a couple close calls, but eventually it's going to end tragically. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of God's glory and that the wages of sin is death. And so our first prayer today must be a prayer of confession. Lord, help me see. Lord, open my eyes and help me see my sin. Today we have before us this very familiar story of Jesus healing a man born blind, as the heading in the Bible calls it. That's the theme, if you haven't caught on, driving our worship today. But maybe if you're clever, you recognize there are multiple blind people in this story. There's one physically blind man, but there is a whole lot of spiritual blindness going on in the story today. Did you recognize all the various kinds or varieties of it? There were the disciples who were walking alongside Jesus and they came across this man who was born blind. The disciples weren't completely spiritually blind, but they had a rather myopic vision with a clouded understanding of truth. They saw the man, they asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Like many at the time, And like many still today, there was the clouded misunderstanding that one's personal problems or pains are directly connected to your own personal sin. I do this wrong today, I get the flu tomorrow. This man or his parents sin terribly, and so as a consequence, he's born blind. This was short-sighted. This was a clouded understanding of the curse of sin, generally speaking, into this world that on the other side of the gates of Eden, there are going to be problems, pains, and all kinds of ailments, generally because we're no longer perfect. Jesus had to open their eyes to reveal the truth and to reveal himself more clearly. Here's what Jesus said. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Next we can think about those Pharisees. Those were people so spiritually stubborn and hard-hearted. There was a floodlight of grace flashing right in front of their face. The very Savior they had been awaiting for centuries, Jesus, the light of the world with bright, blinking, neon lights. 
And despite this miracle and all the others that proved his divinity, that he's someone different and unique and special, they refused to believe that he was sent from God. And when the man who was healed said, oh, he's a prophet, they castigated and chastised the man and sent him out of their presence. And then there was that man himself, born blind. He seems to be the kind of person that maybe many of you come into contact with on a regular basis. He was clearly lost. He knew little bits of information, but he was just missing something. And so in this heartwarming story, in a very personal way, Jesus comes to him to open his eyes twice over. First, he comes to the man and and heals him in a very special and unique way, spitting on the ground, making mud, putting it on his eyes, telling him to go wash. A very tangible, physical, memorable way for the man to understand that Jesus is someone different, to understand that Jesus is the one who had the power to make this happen in a unique way. And then later on, as we skip a few verses this morning, when he was sent out from the Jewish leaders and the Pharisees, and he's reeling a bit about the whole situation, even his parents kind of threw him under the bus, if you read the whole story, Jesus comes to the man and has this wonderful interaction. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, don't you just think Jesus loved these moments with just a big smile on his face? Jesus said, you have now seen him, both literally and metaphorically. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. What was that eye-opening moment for you? The truth is, probably few of us in this room can point to a specific time or moment or event. That's not really how it works with God's Word. For some of us, perhaps, it was like we saw earlier in worship today at baptism, maybe when you were very young, maybe when you were a baby, and much like with the mud and the saliva and the spit in a very physical, tangible way, Jesus comes in the waters of baptism. Maybe others here learned about Jesus as they were growing up from a parent or a grandparent or a Sunday school teacher. And, and still maybe others learn from a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker, a pastor when they were older in life. But all of us in this room had some time in life when just like the very beginning, God gave life and opened the eyes of Adam. So also for each of us at some point, God opened our eyes of faith to see clearly that Jesus is the light of the world with a gasp of spirit-filled breath and faith. We once were lost, but now are found. We were blind, but now we see. And oh, there is so much to see, so much to take in, so much to enjoy. What was the first thing your eyes of faith saw? Again, we probably don't remember or know, but what could it be? Could it have been the brilliant, shining perfection of Jesus who lived in a way that no one could in the darkness and then gave that perfection to you? Could it be your new set of clothes? Your robe of righteousness that covers over all of your sins and stains? 
Or maybe did your eyes of faith first see, first open to see the unforgettable scene of a bloody sacrifice, a perfect payment on a cross that washes away everything you have done? Or maybe is it the unforgettable scene of the blazing glory of Jesus, risen from the dead, victorious on Easter morning like we will celebrate very soon once again? There is so much to see, so much to take in, so much to enjoy. It's like everywhere your eyes of faith look or dart, there is new beauty to behold. Over here, you see that your life has value because you were bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Oh, and then over there, you look and you see your life has meaning and purpose because just like with this blind man God worked all things in all of time and history and in your life so that you could see that Jesus is the light and now he's using you in time and history to show other people that light too oh and then you look over here and you see a new sight that you have hope in your life because soon there will be a day when there will be no darkness but only light And so our second prayer this morning is one of faith. Lord, help me see. Lord, open my eyes and help me to see you as my Savior still every day of my life. Sadly, you know, there are many, many in this world who do not see this. So many who are lost in the darkness Like Jesus said today, they think they can see, but they are lost in blindness. I know that you know people like this. You work with them. You live next to them. Some of you may live with them in dormitories. You sit next to them at Bucks games and concerts and movies. You see them at the park, in the bars, in the restaurants. You may be related to some. Don't let these people walk around in spiritual blindness near the rim of the spiritual Grand Canyon. What did Jesus say? As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. It's time to get to work while it's still day. So show people the light of the world. Reflect the light of the world and the love that you live. Bring people here to see the light of the world in a first-hand experience. Our third prayer for the day is one of strength and courage. Lord, help me to see. Lord, open my eyes and help me to see the opportunities to show your light in this world. (sighs) Eyes suddenly open with new life for the third time. What do you think you will see? Adam or Eve? Abraham, Moses, David, Mary or Martha? Peter or Paul? Someone you miss and love so dearly? Or might you see first this? Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal 
flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. So much to see, so much to take in, so much to enjoy. That is our future hope. Until then, see the light, soak in the light, and share that light until the day you live in the light forever. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace, to support the work that we do to proclaim the love of Jesus in Milwaukee and around the world, and to find our schedule of special worship services, please visit www.gracedowntown.org today. And we'd love to have you join us for worship sometime soon. This grace is for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.